Welcome to Automotive Insiders, the podcast series presented by OESA, the Original Equipment Suppliers Association. You'll hear from automotive industry experts on the critical issues that are impacting the mobility landscape. Get actionable insights on how to thrive in Automotive 2.0. Now, here's your Automotive Insiders host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome to Automotive Insiders, presented by OESA, the Original Equipment Suppliers Association. I'm Bonnie D. Graham here, producer and host, back with a really interesting topic that's going to interest everybody in the OESA community. We're talking today about marketplaces. That's one word with a capital M. You want to stick around for this one. And the automotive aftermarket. And I have a little bit of an offer for all of you. If you stay for the whole show, you're going to hear how to get a free book. From my guests. So there you go. I promised them I'd say that. I'm happy to introduce two of my two special guests today. We have Sebastian Trahan, spells his name T R A H A N. He's a director for the automotive industry at SAP, and he's going to be joined by Lee Reisterer. I'm going to spell his last name R I E S T E R E R. If you want to look them up, he leads McFadden Digital's advisory services practice, and Lee is also, he's very busy, he's the company's C D O, that's Chief digital officer. So welcome to my two guests. Let's start this with Sebastian. I'm going to put you on speaker view and we would love for you to introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about what your role is at SAP, Sebastian, and what's your passion for this topic? Welcome. Thank you, Bonnie. Thank you, the OESA, for uh, having me today. Um, So, I mean, I've been with SAP since uh, 2015, focusing on customer experience topic. Um, But before joining SAP, I mean, most of my career was uh, focusing on customer experience uh, related topics where I have been promoting internally, externally, and being an advocate for customer-centric initiatives and efforts where, you know, the companies I used to work with um, were looking to transform themselves and adopt that direct-to-consumer approach. Um, So here I am today um, in the automotive industry um, doing the exact same thing, promoting, advocating, you know, the needs and importance of being a customer-centric organization. My second guest is Lee Reisterer. He spells his name R-I-E-S-T-E-R-E-R. He leads McFadden Digital's advisory services practice, and he's a very busy gentleman. He is also the company's CDO, that's Chief Digital Officer. Lee Reisterer, welcome. Please introduce yourself. Thank you, Bonnie. It's great to be here and uh, great to uh, have the opportunity to speak to your audience. Um, a little bit about myself. As you said, I lead the uh, advisory services practice here at McFadden. Uh, what that means is uh, my team helps clients who are um, thinking about or actually pursuing currently a marketplace strategy to help them develop a strategy for that, scale that business, and then manage the overall performance of that. <clears throat> I'm uh, a veteran of the industry. I've been in technology, sort of the intersection of technology and business, I like to say, for the past 35 years. have brought industry experience across retail wholesale distribution and manu- uh, manufacturing, uh, most notably automotive and um, uh, electronics industries. So, um, you know, I, uh, I guess most recently, I also spent uh, several years with SAP with Seb where we worked together. And for the past nine years, have been focused on e-commerce and marketplaces specifically. Thank you very much to both of you. I have a little offside question here, Sebastian. 
Do you remember your first car? Any memories, year, color, make, model, anything you want to share with us? Oh, boy, do I remember. Yes, it, it was a Suzuki Swift Red 1990, um, over 200 uh, miles uh, on it when I decided to basically drive it down to uh, St. Louis, Missouri, because I was going to go to school there. And uh, the day before we left, uh, fifth gear um, broke, and uh, I did the entire journey on a four gearbox. Um, that was horrible, Bunny. Horrible. <laughs> I'm sorry to hear, but you know what? To me, Sebastian, it was red, so everything was okay. <laughs> I'm sorry, Lee. What was your first car experience? If you want to share. Well, Bunny, I've always had this need for speed, and I had this. Um, El Camino. Do you know what an El Camino is, Bonnie? Of course I do. Of course. Um, with these really loud headers, our audience will know what that is. And uh, four-speed, her shifter and a Holly four-barrel. Um, since that time, I've had a couple Corvettes, but uh, I'm a big car enthusiast. Well, nice to hear that. Thank you both for sharing. I appreciate that. Now let's get down to business. But everybody loves to hear the first car experience. It just it just gets us all on that playing field as people who like cars. And I'm a car enthusiast as well. So here's our topic for today. The automotive suppliers and aftermarket industry imperatives and megatrends, important. We're talking about trends today, are impacting B2B businesses, creating opportunities. That's a good thing. And challenges. That can be a good thing if you know how to approach it for companies of all sizes. All of the trends are converging toward convenience, where digital engagement and digital channels represent the backbone for all B2B experiences, buying as well as selling, so both sides of the transaction. Sebastian, let's kick off this conversation. What are the trends you see, and what are the market drivers that are shaping the supplier industry? Sebastian? Well, um, there are lots, actually, but uh, if we stick to the basics or you know the, the biggest trends in the industry, we can think about the consumerization of B2B experience, um, where everyone is expecting you know like personalized shopping experience that are B2C likes, and uh, all those B2B processes are ex- also expected to be um, you know like B2C oriented per se. No matter if you're a B2B buyer or a B2B seller. What you're expecting at the end of the day is to, um, you know, enjoy and have a shopping and selling experience, which is like the one you're having when you're, um, you know, in your B2C persona, basically. And um, what it does, um, it did force um, many organizations to, um, you know, think about new digital engagement models. Um, And we've seen, you know, like the horizon of personalized self-service portals open 24-7 um, and, and, and all the buying process are basically, you know, like starting to be shaved back to just the bare bones. Um, you know, like the need for no extra cost at each stage. Um, brands, they can significantly cut down order processing costs and so on and so on. So in return, what it did, Bonnie, is that, um, you know, it created uh, pressure on those organizations to um, digitize their um, complex B2B processes. You know, we can think of streamlining sales processes, automation of a lot of manual and repetitive tasks, that are basically just massively consuming time. Um, that's what I'm seeing right now. Those are the first three big trends. So if we summarize consumerization of B2B experience, digitization of complex B2B processes, as well as the, um, the, uh, the rise of new digital engagement channels. Bunny. Thank you very much. Lee, I'm going to go into another part of this topic, but anything you want to say back to Sebastian? Any comments about, about the main trend drivers he's just shared with us, Lee? I think in general, everybody's talking about digital transformation, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but that means so many different things. And I think where um, the exciting part of digital transformation is occurring 
is in what we used to call the front office, uh, but uh, today we refer more to it as customer experience, right? Because this is where attracting customers, growing revenue and profits is where all the action is. The other side of digital transformation is more in the back office, ERP systems and the like. So where Seb- Sebastian and I have been focused for the last uh, oh, 10 plus years is really on uh, helping customers figure out how to really harness the power of improving the customer experience. And we also use the term, Lee, customer-centric. That's a term that has emerged, right, in the past couple of years. Pre-pandemic is, are you a customer-centric company? Are you a consumer-centric? Is it all about you or is it about your buyer, the current buyer, the repeat buyer, the returning buyer, the potential future prospective buyer? Thank you for that. Appreciate that. Lee, I'm going to throw the next topic at you. We're, we're talking about exciting opportunities for companies in automotive aftermarket. And what company comes to mind? It starts with A, which makes it easy because it's at the start of the alphabet. Amazon, when we think about the word marketplaces, and we want to define marketplaces, it has a capital M, and that's what we're talking about today. Amazon's focused on consumers. We're all consumers, and I would venture to say there's hardly anybody in the OESA audience who hasn't either heard of or used Amazon in some way for some kind of shopping. So how should automotive aftermarket suppliers think about capital M marketplaces? And let's talk about the opportunities, and I know there are different types of models. Why don't you take us through those, Lee? Sure. You know, it's interesting because um, two things have happened. One is that there is, um, there is as, as Sub alluded to, uh, this uh, phenomenon, because everybody is used to Amazon, that in the B2B world, um, those same people who are shopping on Amazon have now effectively become spoiled by that experience, and they expect that when they go to work. So um, the manufacturers and distributors in particular have to think a lot more like retailers. They have to be thinking about creating a good experience for even those B2B buyers. And when you talk about marketplaces, typically um, there's a confusion by a lot of people out there, frankly, because uh, I recently had a conversation with the vice president of strategy at a $3 billion distributor. And I brought up marketplaces. He said, yeah, we want to talk about that. But in his mind, it really meant e-commerce. So what's the difference between e-commerce and marketplaces? First of all, uh, it's quite different, right? E-commerce is very simple. You sell your own goods. When you get into a marketplace, now you're thinking about selling other people's products like Amazon. Another little known fact is that Amazon has also entered the B2B space and it's called Amazon business. And um, the growth of Amazon business has been astounding. Uh, One of the challenges there for manufacturers and distributors is that they're being disintermediated from their customers. So in response, what they're doing is building their own marketplaces or trying to figure out how to do that. But you're absolutely right. There are different models. We think of Amazon, we think of a horizontal model where they're selling all types of things to all types of people. But then there's vertical uh, marketplace models. And this is where you're selling a broad uh, category of products, but to a very narrow audience think automotive. There's digital good marketplaces. There's services marketplaces. Think Uber, for example. Uh, And then there's niche marketplaces. So you have these different models. And I think for our audience, one of the questions they have to ask is which of these models would be most relevant for me based on the strengths I possess as a company? 
Thank you very much, Lee. Very interesting. And I know there are lots, I I know in the notes you sent me, not related to automotive, but you talk about vertical market Wayfair. Who doesn't want to buy something for your garden or for your patio or for your dining room at Wayfair? And, And so there are so many examples. But speaking of examples, Sebastian, people learn through examples, things we can relate to, things we understand. I know you have three examples of early innovators' success. One is a French auto parts marketplace vendor or company. One is a global leader for commercial spare parts in aerospace. That'll be interesting. And one is Toyota material handling. Would you share some insights with us, please, Sebastian, on these examples so our listeners really get an idea of how this works in the real world? Yes, of course. Uh, thank you, Bonnie. So, I mean, you mentioned the French auto part marketplace. Um, if I can go back to what Lee was saying, um, we can refer to it as a hybrid model between horizontal and vertical. Um, so here we're talking about a well-established player in France, um, already serving thousands of customers and buddy shops with parts. And um, those guys, they had the vision to become the one-stop shop for um, their customers and other customers, of course. Um, because they would see themselves as experts. I mean, those guys weren't afraid of Amazon. So they decided to build their own marketplace um, and deploy a platform where, you know, like the suppliers would onboard easily. And um, those um, suppliers would be chosen very carefully and would still align very much with, you know, their own brand DNA. Um, What happened is that they ended up expanding their um, e-commerce activity super rapidly um, while exponentially grow product catalogs, assortments, and promotions. So if we think of that French um, auto part man- uh, supplier, um, in 2015, they went from 15 products that, w- that they were selling up to 12 millions today. And uh, now they're not only selling um, you know, parts and, 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 and for maintenance, but they're also you know, selling all sorts of products um, related for automotive. Um, and equipment for um, companies and body shops to actually perform those maintenance and routines on vehicles. Um, Those guys have seen significant web traffic increase, higher conversion rate, of course, um, because, you know, the more products you have, the more people can find what they're looking for. Um, And an interesting fact is that um, today, 85% of all their sales revenues um, are now going through the marketplace. So that's the story of our um, French friend. Um, you know, who's been thinking of themselves as an Amazon in the space, right? So not only selling parts, but selling other components. Yes, Bunny. Sebastian, you stopped me in your tracks when you said they went from selling 15 items to 12 million. I can just hear the reverberations in the brains of our listeners. And if people see this video, we are recording the video saying, What? I wonder how long it took them to go from, of course, marketplace, they're selling other people's products, but that is an enormous, exponentially, almost unfathomable increase in the opportunity to sell things. Any idea? Can you tell us how long it took or I'm just, I'm overwhelmed. It's, it sounds like a huge success story. Sebastian? Yeah. So first, did I say 15? Um, because it was 15,000. Uh, which is still a low number, um, yes. you know, compared to the 12 millions. Yeah. Um, but they did it over like a five-year period of time, right? Okay. And that's the beauty of, of, of a marketplace business model where, you know, you can start onboarding suppliers very easily. They come with their stock, you know, like they sell it through your own channel. You're still responsible for fulfilling these orders and providing the customer experience as per your brand standard. So there's lots of advantages in becoming a marketplace operator. Um, but it wasn't 15, uh, Bonnie, it was 15,000. But still, 
it's very impressive. It is still impressive and it's still exponential success. And I, it's still a wow. You have a couple more examples for us, Sebastian? Yes, of course. So um, there is another one, as you said, uh, from the um, aerospace industry. Um, and we can refer to it as a niche or a niche, um, you know, marketplace model. Um, as you all know, there are, you know, I don't know, like over 3 million parts um, that are involved in the maintenance of an aircraft. And um, it means that the you know, global supply chain is super complex, lots of parts, lots of suppliers being required. Those guys saw a very big uh, competitor entering the market, eBay, <laughs> with their B2B division. And on that, you could find any aviation spare parts, marketplace with pure play retailers were entering the market. It was some sort of disruptive and, and shocking for those guys. So they wanted to make it easy for their own customer base to find all the spare parts they needed for routing maintenance in one place. They wanted to be the one-stop shop. So they created a third-party marketplace where not only their own products were sold, but products from their competitors sometimes and even other suppliers. So those guys also increased their own catalog by 6x. And the key theme here is that they did it without investing in new inventory. And now their vision um, is, is even beyond becoming a first stop, um, a first one-stop shop in the aerospace industry, they want to create a digital ecosystem with products and services that their customer need for aircraft maintenance. Absolutely fascinating. Thank you very much, Sebastian. Lee, I know what our listeners are thinking. They're saying, wow, sign me up. How can I do it? When can I start? We want to grow our business that way. As, as Sebastian very well pointed out, you don't need inventory, right? You're selling other people's stuff. It's their inventory. So let's talk, Lee, about what advice, what guidelines would you give? Or let's just caption it as the considerations. If a company, an aftermarket supplier company, wants to start a marketplace initiative, what are some of the steps to do it the right way so that they're on, on track for success. Lee, thoughts? Great question, Bonnie. So I like to refer to um, building a marketplace as a journey, right? And so first, what we like to do when we engage with a prospect is to find out where they are in that journey. And if they're just at the inception phase, for example, maybe there's one individual, it's uh, a vice president of marketing or uh, some director uh, over a product line, spare parts. He's got an idea. He's been doing some reading and uh, he's sort of the evangelist. I have seen um, marketplace initiatives uh, basically take a year, sometimes two years just to get the executive team aligned. Why? Because it's still a relatively new concept. More importantly, there are some fundamental business model questions that have to be answered. There's a different revenue model associated with marketplaces. What's the organizational model? What are the key performance indicators? These are all critical questions that need to be answered. But most importantly is what's the business case for a marketplace? So with all of those considerations in mind, um, the first thing that is typically important is to build a business case. Because when you take it to the board or the executive team, they're going to say, why do we need to do this? And you better have an answer. And that answer needs to be in the form of a solid ROI, that if you invest this money, here's the return we're going to see. And so doing that can be a challenge sometimes. Secondly, is that uh, once you've gotten the support from the executive board is, well, what exactly do we need to do? You know, what are the steps? What is the technology we need? Uh, what's the investment by phase? And so you need to build a very 
detailed roadmap and it's got to be an actionable roadmap that you can demonstrate to your team. Here's what we're going to do. Here's how we're going to measure it and report back to you. Finally, uh, and this is the one that's uh, actually more challenging than all is that if you've successfully taken those first two steps, then the question becomes, how do you actually make this business a success? How do you scale it? And in the marketplace world, we use this term called the flywheel effect. And what it really refers to is this virtuous cycle of getting more suppliers, which means more products, which means a better experience, which means more buyers, which in turn means more sellers. And so how do you create the momentum behind that cycle? Um, it's interesting in both e-commerce and marketplaces for folks that I've seen take the approach that if we build it, they will come. It fails every time. So frankly, the hard work begins once you deploy the marketplace and having a very solid strategy all the way from how you're going to recruit those sellers to overall management of that marketplace. So I would say those would be the three areas that I see consistently where people need to think hard and be prepared to have good answers as you take this forward. Thank you very much, Lee. I'm, I'm smiling because I looked up Flywheel Effect, and it's from Jim Collins' book, Good to Great. Do you mind if I just read the technical definition? Is that okay, Lee and Sebastian? Yeah, I, th- I think our listeners will enjoy it. The Flywheel Effect is the continuation of oscillations in an oscillator circuit after the control stimulus has been removed, usually caused by interacting inductive and capacitive elements in the oscillator. Circuits undergoing such oscillations are said to be flywheeling. So anybody who's really technical and wants to get into oscillators, there you go. Uh, It sounds to me like the book is a good read, but I think our listeners have waited and gotten great information from both of you, but I bet they'd like to know what this free book offer is, how they can get it. So Sebastian or Lee, who wants to share that with us? I think Lee can go. It's it's his book after all. Well, (laughs) it's it's certainly not my book, but um, our firm has Uh, recently released a book. Uh, It's called Marketplace Best Practices uh, by Tom McFadden, but Tom would be the first to say it was a team effort. Um, And it was the number one download on Amazon the first two weeks under the category of e-commerce. And we'd love to have everybody get a copy of that. Uh, You can get a free download uh, if you've got a Kindle. Uh, Alternatively, if you send an email to either Sebastian or myself, uh, we'd be... uh, Thrilled to send you a hard copy version of that book. And wait a minute, hard copy, will you autograph it? Uh, if, if that adds value to them, I'd be happy to, but uh, uh, maybe, we'll get, maybe better we'll get time to autograph it. So the question is, where can people reach you by email to request the book? Lee, let's get your email first. Is that okay to share it on the show? Oh, certainly. So Go ahead. if you can see my name behind me, it's lreesterer at mcfadden.com and that's m-c-f-a-d-y-e-n and i'm going to spell it l-reaster at mcfadden.com i'm going to spell it because most people are not going to see the video so i'm going to spell it the letter l and his last name right after that r-i-e-s-t-e-r-e-r at mcfadden m-c-f-a-d-y-e-n.com that'll get you to lee sebastian where can people find you so first name, um, S-E-B-A-S-T-I-E-N, dot last name, Tran, T-R-A-H-A-N, 
at sap.com. And you don't need to send me an email in French. I will be able to respond in English. <laughs> Pourquoi pas? C'est très bien. Merci. <laughs> it's S-E-B-A-S-T-I-E-N. It's the European version, not Sebastian, like we do here in the States, I-A-N. It's T-I-E-N dot T-R-A-H-A-N T -R -A -H -A -N at S. A-P-dot-C-O-M. There you go. Gentlemen, it's been wonderful getting to know you, and Marketplaces sounds like the way to go. Quick question for both of you. Let me start with Sebastian. Why would an aftermarket supplier not want to have a marketplace? Is, is there any OMG that they should be aware of that they shouldn't do it, Sebastian? I mean, honestly, not that I can think of, um, but I'm sure, you know, like uh, all people have objections and, you know, like regulations in some cases and, you know, like other um, things that are prescriptive from deploying a marketplace. But what I would say is that, um, you know, don't let anything stop you thinking because this is all about innovation um, and, um, you know, especially not technology. Eh? Let the technology be the enabler. I mean, be innovative. Everyone is looking for a B2C-like experience. So be out there. And Sebastian likes to say, don't let technology be a paralyzer. Let it be an enabler and stay calm and innovate. I saw that in your notes, and I like that. Stay calm and innovate. Lee Reisterer, any advice on why wouldn't somebody want to do a marketplace? Well, we actually have a view in our firm, and I don't think it's self-serving, but we believe everybody needs a marketplace strategy because, you know, if you'd look at e-commerce 20 years ago, you might wonder, well, is that right for us? Today, everybody's doing it. We believe this is the future as well, and you, you need to have a marketplace strategy. And the other point that's very important is that there clearly is a first mover advantage in this game of marketplaces. So the person that gets out there first always has an advantage. So be mindful of that, because if you don't do it, somebody else will. There you go. The first mover advantage. There you go. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. I hope our audience, our listeners, if you see the video, our viewers have enjoyed this conversation as much as I have. Sebastian Trahan at SAP, thank you so much for your time and for sharing your expertise. And McFadden Digital, thank you as well. I really appreciate all of the work the two of you did behind the scenes to get ready for this today. And thank you for being who you are and for your expertise. Bonnie D. Graham saying bye-bye, everybody. Wave. Bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Automotive Insiders, presented by OESA. Listen at your convenience to industry thought leaders as they discuss the ever-evolving industry and how companies can thrive in the new mobility landscape. All episodes are on demand on the Voice America Business Channel and at OESA.org. Automotive Insider is presented by the Original Equipment Suppliers Association.